Harry, so good to be with you again. And I just want to honor uh, Harry, Joe, CJ, the administration staff, uh, that we would have a day like this, but especially a day like tomorrow. I often say that prayer is the most often talked about and least practiced discipline of the Christian faith. And uh, probably one of the things will be on my tombstone is a little phrase that prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Would you say that with me? Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. And I get that. I often like to start by confessing I'm not a natural prayer guy. It's important for you to know that. I'm fiercely independent by nature. You could ask my wife. Uh, my friends would tell you I could be stranded on a desert island for a week and never realize I'm the only one there. I'd be having so much fun by myself, collecting coconuts, you know, building huts, going fishing. Suddenly I realize nobody's around, right? Uh, so I get that. It is very instinctive for me by natural personality to just run on Christian autopilot and say, Lord, I think I'm okay today, but if I hit a crisis, I'll give you a call. Uh, but through the years of ministry, God put me through some desperate uh, uh, church situations by His grace that drove me to my knees and helped me understand that prayer is not just therapeutic, it's transformational. It transforms our lives, it transforms our marriages, our families, our churches, and ultimately society, because it is obviously our lifeline to the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's how we really live out the real gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm thrilled that I can uh, be a part of another day. This is six years running. I had hair when we first started, and uh, you know, so it's been a while. Uh, I tried to get my faux hawk going today, but it turned out to be a no hawk, so that's just the way it is for some of us, right? Give you greetings from Denver, Colorado. It's where our ministry is based, known as the Mile High city for more ways than one, but uh, I think you're about to uh, get some of those folks in your state here real soon. We're glad to send them to you, actually. Anyway, uh, but uh, just thrilled that uh, we can have uh, our prayer time tomorrow. Tomorrow's a big day in our nation, but it's more so a big day because we get to spend the whole day seeking the King. In fact, we're going to start the, the very passage you, you uh, read from, Joe. We're going to pray through that passage in the morning. And he is the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God to whom belong glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. And that's perspective, isn't it? No matter what happens tomorrow, he's still the king. Always has been, is, and will be. And what a thrill to focus on that uh, tomorrow together. For today, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And uh, while it was tempting to preach on some texts that related to elections or the nation or government, uh, we will be praying about some of that tomorrow. I want to talk to you about something that's going to still be true a week from now, a year from now, a millennia from now, and through all of eternity in terms of the real issue of the Christian life, and I think it will be helpful to you. We will read through it as we work through it this morning, uh, but as we start, I want to ask you a question right up front. Uh, and let me just uh, posture it in this way. You know, one of the great things about the Christian life is there is limitless potential to grow, to change, to be transformed. I love what uh, Paul wrote in Colossians, that in Christ are hidden, catch this, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Think about that. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ. They're not hidden from us, they're hidden for us in Him. In fact, John, as he thought about the life of Christ and all that there was to gain from him, said at the end of his gospel that the world itself could not contain all that could be downloaded on the hard drives of the world, right? That's the modern version. But the idea, limitless capacity to learn from his life, his teaching, his example. And so with all this limitless potential in mind, let me ask you a very simple question. With this Jesus before us, if you could ask him for just one thing, what would it be? If you could ask this Christ, in him were hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge for one thing, what would it be? 
like we heard earlier from Jenna, would it be a better grade? More understanding of your education textbook, your science class, those are all good things. But one thing, what would it be? Or to say it differently, if you could ask him to teach you just one lesson, what would it be? Well, some of you have opened your Bible, you know where we're headed, because it's been said often, the apostles, the disciples who followed him only asked him to teach them to do one thing, and it was to pray. They understood the vitality of this dynamic reality in our lives. Now, before we get into that, let me give you a definition of prayer, because I think you think about tomorrow, and you wonder what the day will be like. It kind of depends on your definition of prayer. The average man on the street would say that prayer is talking to God, right? Which makes God one big ear and us one big mouth. (laughs) That's not really the biblical idea. Some would say, well, it's asking God for things. Yeah, that's a part of prayer. But let me give you a definition offered by Alvin Reed, a seminary professor, and I love it. He says, prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of His purposes. I love that definition. I think it's so biblical, so New Testament. Prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of His purposes. So you say, what in the world are we going to do all day tomorrow? We're going to experience intimacy with God that will lead to the fulfillment of His purposes. And by the way, if Christianity is not that, then what is it, right? It is abiding in Him, knowing Him, experiencing Him, so that we accomplish His purposes on this earth, which is the only reason He has you here at the Master's University. The only reason He left you here on earth after saving you is to fulfill His purposes, and that's where prayer becomes so vital to us. And so as the disciples say, teach us to pray, keep that definition in mind as we indeed look at this passage together. Let's begin in verse 1. Uh, We see four basic points as we walk through the text. And the first one, of course, is this earnest appeal concerning prayer. This earnest appeal to Christ concerning prayer. Verse 1, chapter 11 of the Gospel of Luke. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, we don't know exactly when and where this occurred, but we, knew, we know that the disciples were, were there observing Jesus praying. And one of the things I would just suggest to you that they were motivated by Christ's example, not just his lessons. Let me say something. Don't try to write it down your pen will smoke if you're taking notes, but, but just catch this. There's a sense in which Jesus is the only one who ever walked the earth and didn't need to pray but did to help those of us who do need to pray but don't learn how to do it. Repeat that back, if you will. I didn't think so, but here's the point. Jesus was fully God and fully man. As fully God, he was in constant, perfect intimacy with the Father. And so as we understand prayer, he didn't need to to do it, but he, he was prayer. He was living prayer, but as fully man, he was the perfect example of what it meant to live in this intimacy that leads to the fulfillment of the Father's will. Jesus prayed. I know about you, I need to pray more than Jesus did, right? He rose up early, a great while before the day. He prayed all night long before his disciples were selected. He went into the garden often to pray. He prayed before, during, and after his ministry works. Jesus was the ultimate example of prayer. And if you had one reason to come tomorrow, it's just because Jesus prayed and we need to learn, right? And indeed, he is worthy to be sought and his example is worthy to be followed. So they they were motivated by example. And I would suggest to you the best way to pray is, is really this idea of thinking about the example of Jesus and being engaged in the example of others. Two real quick points here. We must be taught to pray. It's not automatic, right? 
We must be taught to pray. It's not automatic. It was the tradition of rabbis to teach the disciples prayer. We don't know exactly what John did, but we know that as they saw Jesus, they realized, Lord, we need to learn what you are doing. We need to learn to pray because um, it's not always instinctive for us. One of my pastor friends at Harvest Bible Chapel in Toronto, Robbie Simon, says that prayer is the easiest and hardest thing we do. It's easy because we know we need God, but it's hard because our flesh opposes it, the devil fights it. Uh, We have all kinds of misgivings. Maybe we've had bad experiences. You've been in prayer meetings where people have snored and snorted and fallen asleep and drooled, you know, so we think a prayer is boring. For many of us, we have to overcome tradition. And I've told this story in previous years, but I tell it again, so much a part of my journey. Because when I was a kid, I had a drug problem. My parents drug me to the old-fashioned midweek prayer meeting at our church every week of our lives. (laughs) And uh, I have a spiritual gift of sarcasm. I know that's not in the New Testament. It is in the book of 2 Daniel that I'm working on. It's a pretty good book. Um, But as I reflect on that experience, we'd show up at 7 o'clock, and we'd sing some stodgy songs that kind of sounded like sanctified versions of 99 bottles of beer on the wall. I seemed to go on just as long. Uh, And then some guy would give a devotion that he threw together in his pickup truck, had nothing to do with prayer. And then they asked the dreaded question. You know the dreaded question, right? Does anybody have any prayer requests? That's right. We opened up our yellow pads, got our blue big pens out, and we were loaded for bear. And this thing went on and on and on pretty soon. It's kind of interesting. I found out that Deacon Bill had run off of Matilda, the organ player, and uh, uh, Deacon Bill's wife had been manic depressive all her life, and Matilda's husband was a drunkard, and their son was a drug addict. Their daughter was pregnant out of wedlock. Their dog had rabies. You know, all this interesting stuff we call prayer. I mean, 45 minutes into this, I'm thinking everybody in the country has an ingrown toenail, a slip disc, a cousin who's lost his way on his way to Topeka, a friend in financial crisis. I'm so depressed, I don't feel like praying. (laughs) Oh, you've been to these prayer meetings, I take it, right? And then finally, some genius looks at his watch and he said, oh, we're almost out of time, we better pray. I'm thinking, well, there's an idea. So we would get our chairs together in these little circles with our, our notepads in front of us, and we would engage in what I affectionately call the bless banal or the, the bless be with syndrome, the banal bless be with syndrome. Because as we were going through this list of needs, it's almost as if you were to take the words bless and be with out of what we were doing, and there wouldn't be much left to say. You know how it goes. Lord, bless her, bless her, bless us, bless me, bless me, bless us. Must be the best of the best. So next week for prayer me, I'm thinking, oh man, I got to stay home and watch, uh, you know, Hogan's Heroes reruns or something. This thing's killing me. It's been said the main reason most people don't go to prayer meetings is because they've been to them, right? What we have done and what we are doing is so misaligned with the Word of God, and we need to unlearn in order to relearn so that we will have this appetite to learn and so that the Lord can teach us indeed. And I would just say quickly, we learn best by investing time in praying with others. Again, they, they were learning by watching Jesus pray. Jesus gives them a model prayer, all plural pronouns, by the way, assuming they're going to learn this together. Prayer is not just an individual sport, it's a, it's a team sport. D.A. Carson said the best way to learn to pray is by praying with others who know how to pray, right? And tomorrow you're going to learn much more about prayer than you're going to get from a sermon. Because we learn to pray by praying. And so you see this earnest appeal, Lord, teach us this by your example. Teach us together. Help us to learn. So he gives them a biblical approach to prayer, verses 2 and 3. Now, this is the second time this very same pattern is offered by Jesus. In Matthew 6, uh, the one we all quote by memory on the Sermon of the Mount, 
Jesus taught this model. He teaches now again, much later, to his disciples, which reminds us you don't always get it the first time, right? And the words are not the same. You might say this is a little bit of a Cliff Notes version of the prayer, but the same pattern appears here. And here's what he says, verse 2. All right, so when you pray, say, and this isn't, by the way, just the vain repetition of repeating it. It's, it's the essence, the pattern of the prayer. Say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who has indebted us and lead us not into temptation. Now, I want you to see this is the very same pattern. Now, we're going to break this down very simply. You know, as a senior pastor for years, I taught through this passage for 10 weeks. You know, the Hebrew background, the Greek words. I threw in a French pastry, an Italian coffee shop, you know, just trying to make sure everybody stayed with me. They had all kinds of notes. But I'm not sure they learned to pray. And I like things simple. I think in pictures. I, I want to make sure it's transferable. And I have a musical background. Thank you for that wonderful uh, a piano uh, rendition. That was gorgeous. But because of musical background, there was a day of convergence that happened. And a number of years ago, I shared this. I shared again. And in essence, it's similar to what we're going to do tomorrow. So as you look at the Lord's Prayer, I think of it with this musical overlay as the 4-4 pattern of prayer. All right? So you musicians know this. It just basically goes like that. All right? So we're going to do chapel calisthenics for a moment. All right? Would you do this with me? All right? You ready? We'll go upward, downward, inward, outward again. Upward, downward, inward, outward. So you think, man, is this a Catholic school or what are we doing here? Right? But uh, it, it's the 4-4 pattern. Okay? And, and let me make this very simple because honestly... This has been such a life changer for me. It's as if that pattern is on my bifocals, and every time I look at a biblical text, I'm seeing this pattern. It's, it's the Word of God helping me to learn how to pray. And so the pattern is this, upward in reverence. And let me just review it, then we'll unpack it just for a minute. With, and they all start with R because I went to seminary. You know how it is, Harry, right? But reverence, our Father in heaven, or Matthew 6, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're not asking God for anything. We're giving Him that which He is worthy of, worship and praise revolving around His, His intimacy, His transcendency, His character. We are worshiping God. We're seeking His face before we seek His hand, as we've already said. But worship demands response. In fact, worship is the response of all I am to the revelation of all He is. And so we worship, but then we have to respond, that downward movement, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Henderson paraphrase, God, by your Holy Spirit now, I'm trading in my agenda for yours, my thoughts for yours, my needs for yours. In fact, here's a thought, my prayer list for yours. Because you've got one that I need to understand more than I have one that you need to understand because you know my needs, what, before I even ask, right? So reverence and response, worshiping Him and then responding in surrender and humility and confession and yieldedness. I often say this, I don't think you even know what to ask for or how to ask for it until you've worshiped well and surrendered completely. Because now you are actually praying in Jesus' name in the most biblical of senses. It's not just repeating three words at the end of your prayer like a lucky charm. It's really praying the heart, the mind, the will, the kingdom of Jesus. 
You're praying now in the Spirit. To pray in the Spirit is not rolling in the aisle and foaming at the mouth. That's rabies if you ever see that, right? It's not some emotional thing. Uh, praying in the Spirit is being under the control and mind of the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus said pray this way. Start with His face. Move to surrender and yieldedness. And now come to me with your requests. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I often say I like to stutter on my R's here just for a moment if I could. And I want you to think of two thoughts. Resources and relationships. Would you say those two words with me? Resources and relationships. Daily bread, those are resource needs. We've got a lot of them, don't we? Money for my school bill. Strength for tomorrow. Direction for my life. We could go on and on and on. Support for the missionaries. Those are all resource needs. But then there are relationship needs. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This roommate I'm trying to deal with, right? My parents who just don't understand. Uh, uh, my girlfriend who just won't say yes yet or whatever this relationship need is, right? We all got relationship needs. Now, think about this. Every prayer list you will ever see is either a resource need or a relationship need. Every request on that list is one of these two. That's the wisdom of Jesus to help us come to the Father to trust Him for our deepest needs. So now we pray. We trust Him for these needs. Now, it'd be great, again, if you could stay there. You could be a Master's University monk, you know, show up every day, put on your robe, swing your incense, you know, walk around campus all day. Pretty soon you're dripping Shekinah juice, glowing in the dark, you know, and everybody says, whoa, a prayer warrior, right? But you can't do that. Now you get off your knees and you have to get into battle. And that's why this last part is important. It's anticipatory, readiness. Lead us not into temptation. Or as I often say, deliver us from email, right? That's some of your prayer. But deliver us from evil. The point is, Lord, i got to get battle ready. I'm trusting you to get me through the evil and the temptation of the world. And that's a big part of prayer. Upward, downward, inward, outward, reverence, then response, then our request, then ready for battle. Now, let me just say one thing. The best way to do all that is from God's Word. Where are you going to get thoughts about how to reverence God? Are you go sit on the beach and, you know, hum at the waves? No. The best way to get thoughts about God's Word is open the Bible. And John Piper, who, again, always steals my material. i got to write him, but he says it this way. He says, where the mind is not brimming with Scripture, the heart is seldom brimming with prayer. Where the mind is not brimming with Scripture, the heart is seldom brimming with prayer. I told the story some years ago, George Mueller, who in his autobiography said, I tried to pray for years without starting in the Bible, and my mind wondered. So, survey, how many of your mind has ever wondered while you're praying? Let's see your hands. All right, about half of your mind's wondering now. You don't know what I just asked. Just stay with us, all right? But he said, my mind wondered, right? But he said, he wrote of his own life, when I started in the book, I was able to pray in extended fashion and fruitfully for years. You see, that's the idea of what I call Scripture-fed, Spirit-led, worship-based prayer. Starting in the Scripture, trusting the Spirit to open our eyes to the truths of God's Word so that we can experience intimacy with Him that leads to the fulfillment of His purposes and starting with His face before we seek His hand. Upward, downward, inward, outward. Reverence, response, request, readiness. I know it's simple, but it's powerful. And it's the same pattern in both places where Jesus unpacked this pattern for his disciples. Tomorrow we're going to experience that. Practice it together in a way that I think will be helpful. Now, let's pick up in verse 5 through 12 quickly and look at two practical assurances that Jesus gives them. Because our assurance in experiencing prayer, as Jesus has just now described it, 
is rooted in God's character, and Jesus, as he so often did, beautifully gives us two illustrations. The first one is a friendship illustration. I want you to see it. Pick up with me in verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend? You'll go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, though, he will not give up and give him anything because he is his friend. And yet because of his impudence, his, over, his overt boldness, his persistence, he will rise up and give him whatever he needs. Let me pause just there for a minute. You get the story. Modern vernacular. Hey, dude, I had some out-of-town guests. I got nothing in the fridge. Can you, can you loan me something till tomorrow? And the guy says, get out of here, man. We're sleeping. Now, you got to remember in those days, there were not five-bedroom houses with a pool and a jacuzzi in the backyard. This is a one-bedroom house. That's why he's saying, I can't get up. I'm going to wake up my kids. We're all here sleeping, right? Any movement's going to disturb them all. But Jesus says, if you will continue to knock, even that friend is going to respond. And so, verse 9, we're very familiar with these verses, also given in Matthew. And I tell you, ask, literally keep on asking. It's a present tense imperative. Keep on asking, it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, you will find. Keep on knocking, it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks it will be open. There are increasing levels of intensity here. First I ask, then I seek, then I knock. And Jesus is saying, this is the idea with this in mind, thinking of this friend, never stop asking, never stop seeking, never stop knocking. Now, let's pause and say that there are a lot of people who love this verse, but they take it out of context, right? They use this verse to pray for the winning lottery ticket. You know, I might use this verse to pray that the Seahawks beat the Bills tonight. I mean, there's lots of things we put in front of us. Oh, Lord, if I'll just ask you, if I'll just seek, if I'll just knock, you've got to do it. But you can't take this verse out of context. You say, well, what's the point? I'm glad you asked. Hold on to that thought. We'll get there in just a minute, all right? Because now he tells a second illustration, a fathering illustration. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? I mean, Jesus used almost a ridiculous analogy of an idiot father. Who would do this kind of thing, right? Uh, my son George with me, our oldest granddaughter, Annie, turned six this month. We love Annie so much, and uh, she, over recent years, has developed a fascination with the Nutcracker. And last December, she was pestering Nani and Poppy, take me to the Nutcracker, take me to the Nutcracker. Obviously, we're glad to oblige, right? Very wholesome show, something to be helpful to her. Uh, so we bought tickets, and uh, we were ready to go. Can you imagine, though, if that evening when we picked her up, I said, Annie, I know you love the Nutcracker, but I had a new idea. Instead of going to the Nutcracker this year, we're going to go see uh, Hacksaw Ridge. You're going to love it. Guys running around on fire, guts blowing everywhere. Of course, Mel Gibson, so they're Christian guts, you know, but guts blowing everywhere. Heads getting blown off. I mean, it's bloody, it's gross, it's violent. Annie, you're going to love it. My son Jordan would have me arrested, right? That bad dude is a fry short of a Happy Meal. That guy just is not thinking straight. I mean, what grandfather would do that? Of course not. We wanted to go to the Nutcracker. It's wholesome, it's good, it's enjoyable. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, don't you think your father's goodness 
Your prayers rooted in a conviction about how good he is, how willing he is to respond to your persistent prayers. Don't you think he will respond? And so in closing, I want us to look at what really finally I think is the ultimate answer to prayer. The ultimate answer to prayer. Verse 13 If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give what? A Seahawks victory? The winning ticket? No. The Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Now obviously we know this is true with our initial reception of the Holy Spirit. When grace moves in the heart of a repentant sinner, they recognize their violation of a holy God. They understand their need for a Christ. They turn from sin. By faith, they put their faith in Christ. We have a heavenly Father who delights to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And aren't you grateful He has done that for you? But the ask here is present tense. Just like the ask, seek, and knock of the previous verse, He is saying keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. Not for more of the Holy Spirit, but for a greater surrender to the reality of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Be ye being filled, constantly being controlled, experiencing the fullness of His life, the benefits of His person in you. And this is the good news of the gospel. As Dr. MacArthur says in his notes, He says, many times in prayer we come seeking the gift, but God wants to give us the giver. We come seeking the effect, and He wants to give us the cause. We come seeking the product, and He wants to give us the source. And that is the wonderful reality of this verse. Jesus is really saying, you want to learn to pray? All right, here's a pattern. Here's a biblical pattern that will transform your life. Now, as you are praying this way, and by the way, let me say, that was not a suggestion When Jesus said, pray this way, he was not just giving you a nice little recommendation. Uh, The older I get, the more I experience this, the more convinced I am. It was a command. And again, it's good to be creative, you know. I mean, I made up models, the axe model, slacks model, fax model, tax model, racks model, you know. Come up with all your models, little pithy things. But if I'm going to really pray biblically, I want to stay as close to this pattern as I can. And the pattern's clear. And it never gets old, and it'll change your life. So Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? Here's how you do it. Now, don't forget, be persistent, continue, don't relent. Because if there's no good friend eventually, you know your father's going to gladly respond to you. And just like a good father who helps his children, your father wants to give you the ultimate gift, which is the Holy Spirit. So I've thought a lot about this in recent years. You know, why, as it relates to prayer, why is it that the early church prayed the way they did and we don't? Let's be honest. Everything they did was move forward by extraordinary united prayer. And many times in churches across America, we've got to pull teeth to get people to pray. Tomorrow, you've got to make a choice. Do I pray or do I do something else? Why is it the early church prayed the way they did and we don't? I'll tell you why. And You see this in the notes. Basically, they actually believe that the Holy Spirit is the how-to. And we think the Holy Spirit helps us with our how-to. You see, the Holy Spirit was all they had, and He was all they needed. He was their unity, their wisdom, their power, their witness. He was their direction. He was everything because that's the way the Lord set it up to be. He was the very presence of Christ in their lives. We think the Holy Spirit just helps us with our how-to, right? Here's my problem. Why should I pray for 30 minutes when I can Google this in three, right? I can get some smart guy's answer, be on my merry way, and hope the Holy Spirit will hitch his wagon to my train. Bless my plans. Bless my endeavors. That's not the way it works. 
I have a smartphone in my back pocket. I think there's a picture on the screen, you know, lots of apps here. And I often think of the Holy Spirit as one of the apps. Oh, oh Lord, I'm in a crisis. Let me punch the Holy Spirit app. Maybe you can bail me out of this deal. But the fact of the matter is the Holy Spirit's not an app. He is the operating system. And that's why we must pray. Because prayer is that reality that taps us in, in the fullest sense, to the, the, the promises and the power of the Spirit of God in our lives when we stop striving, stop trying to figure out our own strength, trying to, stop trying to make it work with our own thoughts, but truly relying on the Spirit of God to do what only He can do. The Holy Spirit is the how-to of the Christian life and truly the source of all our deepest needs. One of the problems today, and one of my pastoral friends says it this way, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, in many churches, the Holy Spirit, uh, churches either look like a, a cemetery or an insane asylum, right? Uh, they either are so dead they don't even think about the need for the Holy Spirit, or they're so weird they do crazy stuff that has nothing to do with the Bible and blame the Holy Spirit for it. But Jesus is reminding us here of the need for the Holy Spirit. And we don't have time for a full lesson, but we know that the Spirit it's called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of life who imparts life, sustains life. The Holy Spirit wrote this book through holy men of old who were moved. It was the Holy Spirit who brought forth creation by His power in Genesis chapter 1. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our counselor. He convicts us of sin. He is the one who seals us until the day of redemption. He is our guide. He indwells us permanently. He is our intercessor who teaches us how to pray from Romans chapter Chapter 8, he is the one who reveals truth. He is the one who witnesses to us that we are children of God, and he witnesses through us to make others children of God. One passage I would just read with you briefly in John chapter 16. Here's what Jesus said. He said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Can you imagine how that must have hit those disciples? Are you kidding me, Lord? You're leaving us? Oh, it's to your advantage. It's the best thing I could do for you. Why? He says, because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And previously, ministry was restricted literally to where Jesus could be physically, but now through the work of the cross, dirty, sinful, rebellious hearts have now been cleansed and made habitations of the very power of a holy God through the indwelling spirit of the risen Christ. And ministry can go viral, it can go global, it can be supernatural, it can be the ultimate thing that's going to transform the world. And he went on to say, not only will the Spirit convict, but he will indeed bring truth. He will guide you into truth. And of course, I love this, whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come, and he will glorify me. If we want to have lives that glorify Jesus, we need to understand what's being said here. He's saying, you want to learn to pray? Here's how you do it. You do it with persistence, strong belief. You do it based in the character of a good, good God who's going to give you His Spirit in fullest measure, fullest measure as you continue to give yourself to His control. And you and the world around you will never be the same. It's been said that Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, as he would walk up the steps to his pulpit, would be muttering under his breath, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I would suggest to you each day as you go to class, each morning as you wake up, no matter what you're facing in your life, may that be the assurance from this passage that the Father delights to give the Spirit to those who ask. I want to uh, 
have us close a little differently. We got some time, so the praise. Are you guys good to go? To go? All right. As they come up, I'm going to hijack a little bit. We're going to sing another song, and then you could do another song of your own. But I love to sing. I uh, I'm not great at it, but I love to sing because singing is corporate prayer put to notes, right? By the way, tomorrow we're going to sing a lot. We're going to integrate song into our praying, and it's just an extension of our prayers. But before the band closes us, I want us to sing a, a chorus together. It's an old familiar song that some of you may have heard in church, maybe you've heard new renditions of. It's a very simple chorus. The original chorus said, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. I would suggest the Holy Spirit already fell. Now our prayer is, Holy Spirit, work afresh in me, right? Would you stand with me in a spirit of prayer? And I'm just going to lead this a cappella. And I want this to be your prayer today. And our appeal today to a father who right now, as we sing in a popular song, is a good, good father. And guys and gals, I don't know what your need, your pressing need today is. But don't just seek the solution, seek the source. Don't just seek an answer, seek the one who is the answer. The Holy Spirit living in us is the full sufficiency of Jesus for us and through us for his own glory. Sing with me, if you will. Spirit of the living God, work, work afresh in me. Spirit of the living God, work afresh in me. Make it your prayer. Melt me, mold me, I pray just to reflect on the words of a Puritan prayer many years ago. May it be our prayer. O Holy Spirit, as the sun is full of light, the ocean full of water, heaven full of glory, so may my heart be full of you. I bewail my coldness, my poverty, my emptiness, my imperfect vision, my heartless service, my prayerless prayers, my praiseless praises. Do not let me grieve you or resist you. Come as power to expel every rebel lust, to reign supreme and keep me as yours. Come as teacher, lead me into all truth, fill me with all understanding. Come Holy Spirit as love that I may adore the Father and love him as my all. Come as joy to dwell in me, move me, animate me. Come as light, illumining the scripture, molding me in its laws. Come as sanctifier, body, soul, spirit, entirely yours. Come as helper with strength to bless and keep directing my every step. And come as beautifier, bringing order out of confusion, loveliness out of chaos, and magnify to me your glory 
by being magnified in me. And everyone agreed together and said,